0: Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me, Mr. Mario, and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I try to do at least monthly, in which I go over many different new modding topics, discussions, and developments that might have happened in the various homebrew-related scenes. Now, I did say this is a podcast, so if you're watching the visual version of this on YouTube, welcome. However, if you want an audio-only version of this, like any other podcast... You can look this up on many of your favorite podcasting platforms it's available on apple podcasts spotify google podcasts and several other places links will be down below in the description of the youtube upload now i'm going to be doing something a little bit different at least with the visual video release of this and that is just part of the mod chat reboot here and i would like to get your constructive criticism on this I asked about doing this on Twitter and the results were mostly positive, so I decided to try this out. I'm having some camera issues at the moment, so as opposed to me coming on camera, whenever there's going to be kind of a longer segment like this where I'm just talking and not really discussing a particular article or anything that is going to be on screen, I'm going to be having gameplay footage as opposed to using my actual face as a visual. Now this isn't going to be a permanent thing, this is kind of just going to be temporary or for whenever I don't feel like appearing on camera, because I'll be honest, I don't feel like showing up on camera all the time, but I want to get your all's opinion on this. Do you think this works out? Should I just focus more on using a different visual or maybe only just use whatever is on screen for any time that I'm not going to be using the camera? let me know because that is something I'd be interested in. I know this is kind of a little bit of a throwback if you had seen me for years and saw my gameplay commentaries, but trust me, this is not going to be anything that's going to be a permanent fixture. This is just going to be temporary and might be used here and there on a few episodes. The footage being used, by the way, is from Final Fantasy VII Remake, captured on my PS4 Pro. I recently finished it, I absolutely loved it, if you're interested in hearing my thoughts on it, the next Mario's Minute, Mario's Minute episode 28, which is my other more personal podcast, is going to have an entire segment dedicated to that, so be on the lookout if you're at all interested. If you're checking out the video, enjoy the visuals here, and if you're worried about any potential spoilers, this is me replaying the third chapter in the game, so there's nothing really too damning that's going to be happening here. I did want to be careful of that in case anybody was wanting to watch this but not get anything major spoiled. With all that out of the way, let's go ahead and jump into the first topic here, which was from the PS3 scene. Now, this ended up all happening right around the time I ended up releasing the previous episode of Mod Chat. It happened like around that time when it was already recorded and about to release, so I didn't get it in that episode, but I'm getting it here. And this is from the PS3 scene in which a whole slew of things happened related to firmware update 4.86. So 4.86 was released depending on where you're at in the world. It was either March 30th or March 31st of this year. Now, the good news about firmware 4.86 is this did not make any sort of attempt to patch up any of the existing exploits, mainly the kernel exploits, which means that PS3 exploits tools just had to be updated. And not all of them were updated. I'm going to get on that as well, too. Now, this all happened in record time as well. In my part of the world, it was March 30th when this dropped very late March 30th, And by April 1st, we had our first 4.86 custom firmware in the form of Rebug Lite, which is just a CEX, you know, retail compatible version of the Rebug firmware. It's not the full suite because there is no 4.86 developer PUP available. So we only have the Rebug Lite, which is more than enough. I mean, we get the best thing right off the bat. And the very next day, everything else got updated aside from Han. The main things were PS3 HEN got updated to 3.0.1. I am missing this because just like what we saw before, and I'm going to show this really nice but basic little diagram here. We have firmware 4.86, and if you're wanting to modify, you still need hybrid firmware. So for anyone that does not know, hybrid firmware is a firmware, which is essentially stock firmware, but it has the 4.82 WebKit injected into it. And that is how you're able to use higher versions of hybrid firmware and still use all of the PS3 exploit tools. So even backtracking a little bit, I did get my timeline off. Hybrid firmware actually came out on March 31st. So it was March 30th. We had the official firmware update March 31st. We had the hybrid firmware update April 1st. We had our first public 4.86 custom firmware and April 2nd, you were able to modify your PS3s again. Now I know I keep saying that not everything was updated and what am I talking about here? Well, we can look at this right here. So PS3 HIN has been updated to to work on 4.86 hybrid firmware in the form of PS3 HIN 3.0.1. And as you can see from this little overview here, if you have a PS3 on 4.86 official firmware and you install hybrid firmware, you can get PS3 in. Or if you want to fully jailbreak your system, you can use the PS3 toolset, which I did a whole piece on in the last episode of Mod Chat in which I used it on my PS3 Super Slim. I was able to show you all how to load it up and I was able to dump the flash off there in record time. And if you have a compatible system, you can use PS3 toolset and then use that to modify your system and install custom firmware. Now, there were a few tools that were deprecated and that would be the flash dumper, and the Flash Rider. As you can see right here, if you go to Flash Dumper, you can go over here, and it just brings you to the tool set. If you come to the Legacy Tools, you can check all this, and you can dump your Flash, but if you go to Flash Rider, they don't even give you the option to use the Legacy Tools anymore. They just want, they as in PS3 Exploit, just wants everyone to use BG toolset. And for anybody that does not know, the Flash Dumper and Flash Rider are the tools that ended up releasing when was it? About Thanksgiving 2017. Yeah, that sounds about right. And those are the two pieces of software that have been used to dump your flash and then modify a compatible PS3 that would allow it to take custom firmware. They're great tools and the flash writer especially is extremely powerful and it can also be extremely dangerous because you have to take a flash file, you have to make sure that that is proper, you then have to patch that onto your system, and if there's anything corrupt, anything wrong with that little flash file, you can brick your system right there, which is why it's really important to have a good dump from the flash dumper. But because PS3 Exploit wants everyone to use BG Toolset going forward, the flash dumper and flash writer were deprecated in favor of just updating BG Toolset to use 4.86 and having that be the main step forward. And that is something I absolutely agree with. I did a new video covering how to install all of this for PS3 HIN or for the BG toolset custom firmware on a PS3, for example. And the big thing about this is with the BG toolset, it makes everything so much easier. For PS3 HIN, the installation is going to be the same as before. You install HFW twice, and then you come to the website, you load up the HIN installer, and you go through the steps. That's the same as before. But now with the flash dumper, flash rider, you no longer need those because so much has been automated on the BG toolset. You go in, you dump your flash, you verify that on a PC, and then once you have a good verified flash dump, you go back into the tool set, you then download the patch file, which it then verifies within the browser, and then you patch your system, which once it's done patching, it verifies everything from the system itself all within the browser. And after that, you just restart your system and you install custom firmware. So even if you did not take any of those manual safety precautions before, you don't have to worry about it now because all of it's integrated into the tool set and it does it just as fast or even faster than before. Really the only thing you have to worry about at this point is if you don't have a good clean dump before you modify your system, which is why it's still important to verify your system flash with Pi PS3 Checker, which was also updated in regards to this. Some people do try and skip that and try and write it off or they don't check their dumps and it's just good practice too. I understand it is optional in many people's eyes, But I have seen people who have followed my video, they've dumped their system flash and then when they popped it into their PC and tried to verify the flash, they got an error saying they had a bad system flash. So imagine if you took a dump of your system, you had a bad system flash backup and then you bricked your system somewhere down the line and you didn't have a good flash backup to recover from. Yeah, that's why that step is still needed. I mean, this here is wishful thinking. Maybe in the future, BG toolset will have some kind of feature that will even verify your full dump itself. I doubt that's going to be a thing, but that's really about the only manual piece of the process now. To using ps3 exploits tools to jailbreak your system to run custom firmware either way i know that was a little bit long-winded but i am going to have this linked of course down below in the description in the show notes and yeah that's about all it was there on march 30th we had a new update drop and by april 2nd everybody was up and running again just fine on any type of modified system i think the very last thing i did mention this where i said except for han HAN was updated, but it was updated later on. I don't remember the exact date that was updated, and that was just some strings and such that had to be updated in regards to firmware 4.86 and HFW 4.86. But just kind of a quick PSA HAN is mostly deprecated. Yes, it is still supported and updated, but even the developers don't recommend you only use HAN. At this point, they say, if you're going to use Han, just install PS3 HEN, go with the full suite on that, especially since PS3 HEN has Han built into it, so you really don't have to worry about that anymore. Han itself is more just updated just for the sake of keeping it up to date, but... Nobody should really only be using Han at this point in 2020 if you have a PS3. Use custom firmware or use PS3 Han, one of the two. And if you really like Han, again, PS3 Han has Han built into it. So just install PS3 Han. So next up, we have some Switch news. And this first piece is not directly related to modding, but this is just a PSA. Do you all remember, if this is really going to be anybody who has any type of Epic Games account, how at one point every single person in the world who had an Epic Games account had their password attempted to be reset 20 times a day? I certainly remember that. It was really annoying, especially because I never use my Epic Games account. I actually contacted Epic angrily at one point and said, please, for the love of God, shut down my account. I don't use this damn thing. I used it like once, maybe for Gears of War 3 when that dropped. And I don't even remember what I was using it for. I just found that from my profile on there. Now that has mostly stopped, at least on my end here, but we're getting about the same thing with the Switch. And the unfortunate thing is a lot of people are getting their Nintendo accounts related to their Switch actually successfully broken into. And even worse, if you have an active PayPal account or any type of active payment on there, people are getting as much money charged to those accounts as possible, either until the money is used up or until the account is frozen, whichever comes first. So this is just a big PSA. Even changing your password is not going to be enough on here. But if you have a weak password, change it. If you are not using a unique password on your account, make sure you use a unique password that you're not using on anything else. And finally, enable two-factor authentication on your Nintendo account to keep yourself safe. Even if you're watching this and you don't modify your Switch, you have no intention of modifying, but you have a Nintendo online account, you have a Switch online account somehow. Make sure you enable 2FA on there. That's all I'm gonna ask you all to do. Now, let's get into the actual modding news. So, this is in regards to the Team Executor SX Core and SX Lite. We're just getting ever closer to those being released here. And as you can see, we even have a picture, which isn't just, you know, kind of a crappy side picture. This is something that is a bit more clear. So, this is again on GBA temp here, but the original article which I'll go ahead and cite here, from Max Console says, First of all, we hope you and your families are safe and healthy during this global pandemic that has hit our civilization hard. We got many questions about the current status of our new products, and after many hurdles, we are excited to announce we will be opening up pre-orders for our SX Core and SX Lite products starting today. Just like the SX Pro, the retail price for the SX Core and SX Lite is currently fixed at $45.95 and comes with a free SXOS license, although you are free to not use SXOS, of course. All distributors and vendors will start taking pre-orders in the next hours, days. We want to give you this heads up to give everyone an equal opportunity to be among the first to receive their retail copy of the next generation of Team Executor's finest products for your beloved Switch consoles. For those of you who were selected for the private beta, you know who you are, should get their review unit shipped towards the end of next week. After their Sandy check and feedback are in, we will ramp up production and strive to deliver the retail pre-orders around the end of April. So let's recap. We have some good information here. First of all, this photo specifically is of the SX Lite, and of course that is installed in a Switch Lite console. Now this is really interesting. I wonder if they're really trying to minimize soldering as much as possible. I myself have never done a physical install on a Switch console, but I'm just looking at this. There's absolutely no wires. In fact, these are all ribbons right here. You have some up at the top, you have some here, and you have this one, which says up on it. So I'm guessing, you know, this side up. That's really interesting. So I'm sure there's going to be soldering that's going to be required for this, but I think they're trying to minimize it as much as they could and go with this ribbon type install. Although I'm sure there's going to be people that are going to try and forego the ribbons and try and just use wires directly. Because depending on you know how conditions can be in such, sometimes these wires can be trust. Well, not sometimes these ribbons can be trusted. Sometimes maybe not. I, I guess we'll see. This is the only photo we have, unfortunately. I, I don't have anything else on here. The next thing is we have a manufacturer suggested retail price of forty five dollars ninety five cents, and they they're saying it includes it comes with a free SXOS license. Look, no, no, it's it's not free. You're paying for the license, which is typically $25, $30. I I don't know it off the top of my head, but paying for the SXOS license itself, so the software only, the software key unlock, that's going to be about $25, let's say, in this here. But I do like the mention that they say you are free to not use SXOS, so it looks like this time around, for even though these are branded as SX brand for the SX Core and SX Lite, They are trying to really position these as hardware first, software second, as opposed to, you know, the previous entries, which are the SXOS and SX Pro dongles, where those ones were, hey, you have the OS here, or hey, you have the OS and you also get a dongle to load it off. It looks like in that way, they are kind of going back to what team executor is known for which is going to be hardware and this again kind of confirms what i've said in the last two episodes where this is not going to only be limited to sxos this is going to allow for any type of custom firmware which is going to be compatible on your firmware version that's that part at least the firmware version requirements i had added in on there but point is you'll be able to run Atmosphere on these. So if you are impatient, you don't want to wait for reverse engineering and $45 really isn't that big of a deal to you, and you really want any type of custom firmware on your patched Switch, your Mariko Switch, or your Switch Lite, this doesn't look like a bad option so we are certainly not done with switch news here there was a new firmware update and while as i don't necessarily want to cover every single firmware update this was big not just a number i mean this is firmware 10.0.0 so that really shows how far the switch firmware has come which you know we still have two themes we have a light theme and we have a dark theme not at all salty about that but thanks to reverse engineering and diffing There was actually some really interesting stuff that was uncovered. So first of all, we have HexKeys, otherwise known as Mike Heskin. Maybe I should flip that around. On Twitter here had said, Firmware 10.0.0 adds preliminary support for a new hardware model, NX-ABCD. Three of the five new DRAM profiles are for this new hardware type, and there's evidence of a secondary display of sorts being added exclusively on this model. So wait, what? What? Yeah, you, you all heard that right. Apparently, there is a new Switch hardware type, which might or might not be in development. The code name for it is NXABCD, which is kind of typical naming for the different types of hardware. But more importantly, this might be a Switch which has support for secondary display. So even friend of the show here, that one martini, he had said, man so we could potentially have a new digital-only, console-only Nintendo Switch unit alongside a dual-screen Nintendo Switch unit in the future. Jesus, this is weird. And we're jumping the gun a little bit there. Yes, there is news of another unit that might or might not be coming. Now, we need to bring this back a little bit here, and I'm actually going to hand it off to Cyrez M. Don't worry, I I did not get him on the show. I'm actually going to be borrowing a segment from a diffing stream he did you see Cyrus M is responsible for handling and maintaining upgrades and such of the atmosphere custom firmware and that's I mean I'm really underselling him at this point he's done a whole lot for the switch scene but about a month ago he actually released this stream here which was switch 9.2.0 diffing And even though yes this is one firmware version behind uh, let's just listen to what he has to say because it's actually quite relevant to this information.
1: Ah yes, update to accurate as of 9.1.0. So I added support for Calcio. Um, in Calcio, right now the splash screen isn't shown on Calcio, which whatever. Um, some clocks are only configured on Calcio, which also doesn't matter. But what's interesting is Calcio doesn't have a battery driver. Uh, Calcio is not initializing the battery, which is to say Calcio and Copper, when it used to be Copper. Don't support batteries, or they have different battery support, rather. Um, If you look at the list of GPIOs, which you can do on Switch Brew, uh, some things that are interesting about Copper and Calcio is that Calcio doesn't have a bunch of GPIOs that are present in the normal Switch and in the light, uh, but it does have extra HDMI. GPIOs and notably it doesn't have uh, the game card controller GPIOs. Uh, The reason the HDMI GPIOs are necessary for Calcio, we speculate, uh, is because on the normal switch that's handled by the dock Uh, and so the Calcio and Copper hardware have these GPIOs added which manage HDMI because they don't have the dock. No, Ed the Nerd, Calcio is not SDEV. SDEV and EDEV, etc. are all Ekosa or Iowa or HOAG. Uh, SDEV is not its own hardware type. This is a new thing. Um, and so the development history of this looks like they released the original switch and then they started working on what we think is a home console only version of the switch, uh, not a handheld. Uh, and they called that copper as a codename at the time. Uh, and then after the bugs came out and they switched to the new system-on-a-chip Mariko, they canceled Copper and they are now reworking on it as Calcio as the new code name for what used to be Copper on Mariko instead of Arista. And our best understanding of Calcio is that it is a home console that does not have the game card controller. And so our best understanding of it at the moment is that it is some kind of digital-only home console. Maybe it is for streaming or something, uh, but I also note that if we look at 9.0.0, if you look at 9.0.0, let me actually go here too. Um, where was this? Yeah, there were some other changes in here, but that's not the ones I care about. Um, no, that's not what I wanted. Um, Oh, here it is in 9.1.0 which was the same time that they added Calcio support uh, they added a new set of keys used to sign software um, that is they now support uh, the same OS but software uh, that is signed for this new key generation Uh will only work, uh, it's basically just a different set of keys. Uh, and that could possibly, but we don't know for sure, be for Calcio. Uh, Zachy Chat says, uh, platform config Helwig and platform config copper have been present since 2.0.0. Oh, okay. Yeah, 2.0.0. I forgot if Helwig was in there initially. So Zaki, what it looks like is initially they only had the first form factor and then they spindled or they created placeholders for their console form factor and their handheld form factor. And then they canceled the, the console only form factor uh, on Arista and they're now reworking on it uh, in Mariko. Uh, but yeah, no, our, our best understanding of it is that it is a home console that doesn't have a game card slot. So it would be digital only. Uh, That's our best understanding of it. Everything is subject to change because this is all operating system level and the hardware isn't released or anything. Um, But yeah, uh, people will probably be interested in that, I think. So I
0: don't think it's necessary for me to give a super in-depth recap because I believe Cyrus M handled it beautifully right there. But yes, in short, there is a possibility that there is, or I mean, very strong possibility here. That currently in development, there is a dockless, switchless, cartridgeless, batteryless, console-only switch. I'm calling it a switchless switch to keep it short here. But yes, this is a switch which would not have a dock. Of course, it wouldn't have a battery. And surprisingly, it wouldn't have a game card slot. So for this, I guess I'd really be interested in hearing what your all's opinion is on this. Because I know a lot of people are going to say that's going to defeat the purpose of the Switch since you can't switch. And I guess the biggest surprise to me is that this would completely omit people from accessing the physical market. However, I can see the need for it or not, the need, the want for it as well, too. I've spoken with several people who have said, oh, well, I love the Switch, but I would only use it on my TV. And I know several people who own Switches, and they say, I don't use it portably at all. I use it on my TV 100% of the time, just like you have people who... Don't want to use their Switch on their TV at all. There's people in all three camps people who are only on the TV, people who are only portable, and people who switch their Switch. Now, the game cart thing, the no game cart thing, I don't really know if I agree with that. I mean, of course, the evidence is here, it's just more of the marketing of it, but I can totally see that as well. I mean, we have the Xbox SAD edition, which is the Xbox One all digital which does not have a disk drive and it actually seems to be selling quite well there's a lot of people who are interested in it especially when it's on sale and they do pick it up and I'm sure there's going to be people who say look I just want to switch hooked up to the back of my TV. I don't care about all those little tiny cartridges all over the place. There's like three games I want, Mario Kart, Smash, and maybe Zelda. I'll just buy them all digitally and play them on my TV whenever I can. So I think that's going to be interesting. I do see the type of person it's for i just don't know how well it's going to sell or if it will ever come to fruition but let me know what your thoughts are on this now as a last thing before we completely move off of switch news i just wanted to note this here on april 13th that is when 10.0.0 came out and cyra zim said exciting can't stream diffing tonight my throat's still killing me though i mostly recovered otherwise Atmosphere will be updated with support for 10.0.0 as soon as I possibly can. And by the way, it has been updated for 10.0.0 in the form of 0.11.0, I believe. But Kevin Masters here said, Take care, especially with COVID-19 and all. Hope you recover soon. No rush. And Syrah Zim replied back and said, I was sick with COVID-19, so believe me, I'm happy that I'm recovering. And that was... Wow, that's surprising. So, Cyrus M, Michael, very glad you're recovering. Really sorry to hear that you got hit with COVID-19 or the coronavirus, and... You know, speaking of that, because now it is impacting homebrew and such, I feel like it'd be appropriate to talk about this. Now, just like I talked about in my last episode, in case you don't know what Folding at Home is, Folding at Home is an application that you can set up on your computer, your server, really anything that's going to have a digital pulse of some kind. And what this does is this allows all these different And what this does is this allows you to use your computing power and compute cycles, CPU cycles, and really donate them to research. So there's been multiple different ways that you can do folding, and there was even a Folding at Home app on the PlayStation 3 years and years ago. That's how powerful it was at that point. But in a perfect world, let's say the people who are researching developments for COVID-19 and the coronavirus and fighting it. In a perfect world, they would have a giant supercomputer dedicated to figuring out research and really fighting this and running all the tests that are needed. However, supercomputers take up space. They're expensive. They have to be maintained. It's really not an easy thing. So essentially folding at home turns your computer when it is folding into a fraction of a supercomputer and everyone's folding at home system is a fraction of that supercomputer and therefore everybody pulls their resources together to get these tests done to further this research and folding at home right now has options available for COVID-19 so if you want to come to this link that I'll have down below in the description you can download folding at home you can set it up easily and you at home can help fight against COVID-19 and coronavirus. I think this is something I'm going to be bringing up in every episode or almost every episode until this is really severely wound down and such, because this is something, look, it's real, it is affecting everybody, whether you want to admit it or not, it could be affecting you minimally, or you could even have it, such as Cyrus M, and hopefully you'll recover from it. I want everyone to be safe, but because I do cover news and trending modding topics and such in this show... You know, we've seen this even impact Mod Chat as well. We've of course just seen that Cyrus M did get COVID-19, he recovered from it. And even previously, we've seen delays on products such as the SX Core and the SX Lite due to coronavirus. So, even if you're here and you're saying this does not involve me, it does, unfortunately. But Maybe some people who are watching this can set up Folding at Home and help with this. My goal has been, again, if even a small handful of people watch this and get inspired to download Folding at Home and set this up, I feel like I'll do something good in regards to that. So coming off of that, let's head over to Wololo and let's cover some PlayStation Vita-related news because... There's been some really cool stuff that is still going on with one of the best handhelds ever. This is definitely one of my favorite handhelds. Now, I hope I'm going to say this name right. All right, let's try this out. Rini Gattamante. Let's I hope that's it. I know it's Italian. <laughs> so Rini Gattamante is making huge leaps in emulating the Nintendo 64 on the console with assistance from Zerpy and Master Fees. Games will become playable once Dynarek is implemented. So this is all about a Nintendo 64 emulator that is going to be coming out hopefully sometime soon, maybe, but hopefully coming out for the PlayStation Vita. No, this is not going to be the PSP n64 emulator running on the vita this is going to be a vita n64 emulator so going over this article by aurora she did a good job getting the information that was released in regards to this and really chronicling it quite well so here let's go ahead and look at the tweets that she was citing so first of all on april 10th it was tweeted here just experimenting stage thanks to zerpy for dealing with the initial porting phase now as you can see we have super mario 64 it's uh this is just the launch screen of it it running at 28 frames a second and here we have mario and yeah i mean that It's not pretty, Uh, 1% frame per second, but there's progress here. Now apparently this is running all from a Daedalus X64 port for the PlayStation Vita that was worked on by Zerpy. And it was even mentioned this tweet showed a pretty horrendous Mario face being rendered, but less than 5 hours later, a good deal of progress was done on the video rendering side. And 5 hours later, look at this. There's Ocarina of Time, the beginning of it, and that Mario is looking a lot better. Like, look at that. Wow, that is a night and day difference. That's looking near perfect at this point. And it was mentioned here, progresses on rendering side. Got texturing partially working. There's still some issues with the textiles mode and lighting in general. Now, about 24 hours later, check this out. Audio support got added, too. Super Mario 64 main menu is actually full speed, glitchless, and with perfect audio. Sync audio code is way less CPU stressful than the one available in PSP build. PSP code caused two cores to get to 100% and 75% workload, whilst mine gets a core to 8%. So that's some huge progress in one day. Now, even ongoing here, Masterfees that same day was able to get N64 emulation working on the 3DS pretty well. Now, I know this isn't strictly Vita, but, you know, it's just kind of tossed in here. It's still progress. Next up, let's look at some more progress. Kudos to Masterfees for finding the PSP-only code that was glitching Vita GL Renderer. Now, Daedalus X64 has a nearly perfect renderer. And let's look at these photos here, these progress photos. So, I mean, here, 28 frames a second is what it looks like. But that looks so nice. Look at that. Look at that. 14 frames a second. So still, the frame rate is low, mind you. But look at that. That looks so good. That's unbelievable. So kind of wrapping this up here, it was mentioned what's next. And as things currently stand, the PlayStation Vita port of Daedalus X64, the emulator which made limited N64 emulation on the PSP possible, isn't able to provide a playable experience in commercial games that have been tested, which include Super Mario 64, Mario Kart 64, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Super Smash Bros. 64. Just a little annotation here. This title is running the best out of these four and it's doing around 30 frames a second with audio enabled. That's crazy. Wow. But it is mentioned by Aurora. However, things may change on this front if a dynamic recompiler gets implemented since the emulator is currently running in interpreted mode. So that means you can't play Nintendo 64 games on your PS Vita right now but there's a good deal of hope that it will indeed become possible one day. So seriously, decent to good N64 emulation natively on the Vita might be possible. Let's hope that a dynamic recompiler does come out and will help out all of this, but It's impressive to see progress happen that fast on here. Wow. Next up here is some more news written by Aurora, which is SKG Liba releases PSP2 HFW, a toolset for creating hybrid firmwares. So now you can use Enzo on 3.67 firmware and higher, dual boot, and test stuff on different firmwares easily. So in short, let's kind of back up here and talk about this what exactly is this enzo why is this so exciting so first of all the main ps vita exploit which was native which came out was hinkaku which worked on firmware 3.60 and about a year later enzo came out enzo works with a flaw in the bootloader which allows you to run enzo not enzo but run hinkaku on boot up you see this is not like the PS3 where the PlayStation 3 has custom firmware. This would be more akin to a homebrew enabler. So PS3 Hin or Hin, mind you, where when you turn on your system, it is completely stock and then you launch something whenever you boot it up and you bring up that homebrew enabler. That's what Hinkaku is. And Hinkaku Enzo allows you with a very small patch to the bootloader to load up Hinkaku On boot every single time so you turn on your Vita and it's still not custom firmware but you turn on your Vita and right there you have instant homebrew access now this works on firmwares 3.60 and 3.65 after 3.65 the bootloader exploit which was used was patched so it is known in the community when you modify your Vita on a higher firmware You downgrade it to 3.60 or 3.65 and then install Enzo on there so you have a permanent modification. So now that we have that out of the way, let's get into this. What is PSP2 HFW? And and by the way, I really like the name, but in short, PSP2, that's actually the codename, so to speak, for the Vita. If you look up a Vita firmware update, it is called PSP2 Update. And HFW is hybrid firmware, so a nod certainly to the PS3 scene in there. Now, for those wondering what a hybrid firmware is, in the Vita context, it refers to running a firmware with a different bootloader version, such as using the firmware 3.65 bootloader with firmware 3.68, or firmware 3.70. Now from a Reddit thread from SKG Liba he had said here, Hi guys, I was bored and decided to try and see how deep I can go with 0syscall6 and what can developers benefit from it. It turns out that if we patch the RVK checks at a bootloader level, i.e. with Enzo, the Vita will happily run everything that is in OS0 slash VS0 without checks, a.k.a we can run a different firmware than the bootloaders, which has been, you know, explained there. It took me a few weeks to port everything to low level, and now I can share it with you at PSP2HFW. Now, yes, modifying OS0 is extremely dangerous and stupid, but thanks to Enzo EX and its recovery feature that runs before OS0 is even read, we can recover from a practically full wipe of sectors 0x8000+ after bootloaders. So no worries with that, since PSP2HFW only modifies OS0 VS0. This is a proof of concept for advanced users developers. It will probably be more useful when 3.74 comes out. Also when 3.74 comes out, I will release a tool that does it with one click. Currently I can't because it uses two undisclosed exploits. And then he has a video of it in action with inso on firmware 3.73. Now, this is more what I'm waiting for here. I might cover this and we'll see like in a separate video, but probably when 3.74, whatever the higher firmware does come out, we'll see. And this was also really interesting to me too. It uses two undisclosed exploits. Very interesting. So what can you do with it? Well, it seems like it's more developer-focused, but as Aurora says here, you can of course run Enzo on firmwares 3.67 and newer, because I explained what was going on there with the bootloader and such, and this is really exciting here. The ability to dual-boot firmwares, provided you have SD2Vita. This makes testing across different platforms much easier and could be convenient to some. And here, using it in conjunction with hypothetical future firmwares like 3.74 or 3.75, if these firmwares patch exploit that are already in use, thus making them hackable. So this has a lot of potential here, and the dual booting is more what piqued my interest here, just due to the fact that this, I mean, this took me right back to the PSP scene where we were seeing the same thing. You were able to dual boot firmwares if you had, you know, set up and dumped firmware dumps on your memory card. So I had seen people that were triple booting and quad booting. And of course, even if you had a first-generation PSP and you had a mod chip in there, I mean, it had its own onboard flash, so you could physically do dual booting that way. But still, that was just... The dual boot thing is really cool to me. I do think that will be really nice for developers, and as for... I guess I'll put like this if anybody is wanting a recommendation and they're asking hey well should I build my own hybrid firmware so I can use Enzo on a higher firmware Eh, I mean if if you're a standard end user I wouldn't recommend it you know everything has been built rock solid for firmware 3.60 a lot of stuff works on firmware 3.65 those ones have the official Enzo releases on there And there's really nothing wrong with taking your higher firmware system, modifying it, downgrading it to a lower firmware, and then installing Enzo on there. So this is, again, really going to be for big tinkerers and people who are wanting to develop for the system and test across different firmwares before a standard end-user This is without a doubt a development proof of concept. I wouldn't recommend this for a daily driver to, you know, the standard user. The last thing I want to quickly cover here was from YouTuber Polymars who made, of all things, in Unity, a PlayStation Vita VR game. This is Pac-Man VR, a PS Vita VR demo, as you can see, and he even ended up building out his own type of... What the hell is it? It's not Google Cardboard, but his own type of, you know, holder for the VR, his own cardboard VR headset, which is kind of modified from cardboard and, you know, a uh, Wii U box and such or one of the accessories there, the GameCube Wii U controller. There we go. But it's kind of one of those things you have to see it to believe. He made an awesome video here. It's only about 12 or 13 minutes long, so I'd recommend you check this out. But he wanted to try this out. He started building out a VR prototype, it started working, he built a headset holder, so to speak, and this is not released yet, he said he does plan to release the source code of this, but, like, look at this right here, look, this is VR, with the PS Vita, like, the handheld PS Vita, I, uh, this is so cool, this is just so cool, you all, and and big shout out to PolyMars here. Now, next up, we have some stuff to cover for the Dreamcast and the Sega Saturn, but just one product. This is going to be from Terra Onion. It's available for pre-order right now and this is called the Mode. Now, this is another optical drive emulator. As you can see, multiple optical disc emulator here, and this works on both the Saturn and the Dreamcast. Now, one thing, sorry to nitpick here. It says this works on 20 and 21 pin Saturn models and all Dreamcast revisions. However, coming here and looking at the Terra Onion site, the first thing I thought of was, see there's three main revisions of the Dreamcast, there's 0, 1, and 2. Now, 0 and 1 models are vulnerable to the mill cd exploit, which allows us to run burned games, run homebrew, all that fun stuff. The 2 model, so the Model 2 does not allow us to do that. But coming right here, it does say, compatible with both 20 and 21-pin Saturn consoles, compatible with both 5-volt VA0 and 3.3-volt VA1 Dreamcasts. So, this here i think that might have just been something mixed up in the marketing there but unfortunately this does not work with all Dreamcast. so for anybody who has a a model 2 dreamcast and those are actually quite rare so if you have one congratulations but if you have one one of those Dreamcasts that cannot natively play burned CDs or CDRs or mill CD format games or just Mill CD in general you're not going to be able to use the mode but that's going to affect maybe five people in the world I'm not even saying that insultingly they're just they're, they're very uncommon they' they're very very uncommon <laughs> So anyways, looking at the specifications here, this does allow for auto region patching. So it loads games from different regions without patching the games. It auto detects the console it's plugged into, so nothing to configure. It uses a 2.5 inch SATA hard drive, and it works with XFAT. Now this works with both hard drives and SSDs. So for anybody who might be asking, hey, can I put an SSD in there? I mean, just looking at the video here, yes, you can put an SSD in this and this wow just look at this 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 is a chunky boy but this is cool now it is compatible with micro sd cards as well as usb so you have this one device working with two systems that takes three different types of inputs now a few other features i'm going to name off here is that it's compatible with redump and tosec images for both the saturn and dreamcast It's compatible with cdi gdi ccd which is clone cd mdf bin iso images and bin q images it's plug and play so there's absolutely no soldering required for this it supports multi-disc games there's zero seek times providing faster loading times here uh, unless you use a hard drive i guess the hard drive would still technically and physically have seek times on there it also supports the mpeg card add-on Action Replay or Pseudo-Saturn Kai carts, and the Saturn RAM carts are compatible. Finally, if you have a aftermarket power supply such as the Dream PSU or the Pico PSU, it is compatible. And for anybody who might have a HDMI modded Dreamcast with the DC Digital, formerly known as the DC HDMI, Well, this is compatible with that as well too. Now, from what I understand, for anybody who just wants to load this thing up with a SSD and a micro SD card and a USB flash drive, from what I understand, you can only use one piece of storage at once. So just be careful and know that on there. Also for what it's worth, this thing is pricey. It is coming in at 182 euros and it ships from Andorra. So, you might also have to pay any import taxes or fees. So, just be careful, this thing is really expensive. Now, some people might be asking why is this needed? Well, I will say in regards to the Dreamcast, if you're wanting something that is going to have rock solid support, that's going to work well, and you don't have to kind of resort to getting a clone, I'm talking about you, the GDMU, then this would be a good option. It is very expensive, and I feel like most people who get the Dreamcast, like get it for Dreamcast compatibility, would rather just get a clone GDMU. However, it is nice still having this option, and Terra Onion does fantastic stuff. I actually, to the side of me here, I have their Mega SD, which is their giant flash cart for the Sega Genesis, which is also the world's first Sega CD ODE, and allows you to play Sega CD games on Genesis without having the physical Sega CD which is fantastic. And that's where a bulk of the cost for that was. The Mega CD is an expensive device, but if you're thinking of it like, well, I could buy a Sega CD or I could use that money to buy a Mega SD, it makes sense because Sega CDs now sell for like 125, 150 bucks. They're not cheap. Now for the Saturn, this is really nice for two reasons. One of them is there's only there's only like the Phoebe and the Rhea, I believe, both of which work on... You know, certain types of Saturns. It's really hard to get a hold of them. They're really expensive. I mean, the mode is more expensive, mind you, but those two are expensive. And from what I understand, they're such a chore to set up. You have to set up the SD card a certain way. You can't use uh, BinQ images on there for whatever reason, which is really odd because from what I understand, it was a standard to dump to BinQ format for the Saturn. So you have this one ODE. That is out and they say no, we can't do bin Q. Now, yes, there's a few other developments that are on the Saturn. There's the Fin Rear. There's also Dr. Abrasive solution. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. That one is probably going to be the best because that's the only solution that is not going to require you to remove the laser assembly out of your console, meaning that you can still use your physical discs and play them off of a optical drive emulator, which that's my favorite kind of setup for these drive emulators, such as the X360 USB or the PSIO. Those are my favorite types where you have both options, you're not just delegated to one option. However, Dr. Bracer's solution is not yet available for purchase. The Fenrir is available in limited purchase, and the Phoebe and Rhea, those things, as I said, are really difficult to get a hold of. While as the mode, you can get a hold of it now. I mean it's if I was really in the market for a Sega Saturn ODE this is what I would get and I think I will get one of them I'm probably gonna wait for it to go on sale maybe like a Black Friday sale or something uh, much like what I did for the mega SD I waited for that to go on sale it was like 20 30 bucks off so I decided to bite there uh, it wasn't I mean it wasn't a ton of money that was saved it was still money that was saved enough for me to go ahead and pick one up so... The mode i'm excited about it it looks awesome i trust that it's going to be a fantastic device i guess my last thing is i really wonder why they made one device for two systems as opposed to making two different products for two different systems and selling each of them at a lower cost I don't know. Maybe someone can have a theory on that. Now, let's start wrapping up here with some original Xbox news. And this is something that I had talked about in a tease, I believe, a couple of episodes ago. This is for Fat Explorer. And this, in case you do not know, is without doubt the best USB management or drive management software for the Xbox 360. If you need to take a hard drive or memory unit of some kind and hook it up to your computer and manage it, this is without a doubt the best software. It is paid software, there are trials of it, but it is fantastic. Anyways, original Xbox hard drive support has been asked for for a long time. And now, at this point, it's available, and you can try it out in the 3.0 beta. Now, reading from this site here, thank you for your interest in the Fat Explorer 3.0 beta. The beta is an opportunity to try out Fat Explorer 3.0 before its final release. Please keep in mind that a lot can change before the final release, and there may be bugs or performance issues. Please note that betas include some basic air reporting and analytics. So let's actually get to the big support here, which here it's going to be the first one, original Xbox support. A lot of work went into ensuring that everything is completely supported. If something appears to be missing, please do report it. Now this has stock, retail, and XDK hard drive support, all sizes and partitions. F and G drives also supported on large disks that have them, 10 gigabytes or more. Homebrew hard drive support, all sizes and partitions. These are hard drives set up with partition tables, so really any custom hard drives you can think of. If you have got a 250 gig hard drive, a 2 terabyte hard drive in your original Xbox, this should work on here memory units, USBs formatted as memory units will work, and finally dumps and image files. Now there's a plethora of other changes, but I'm really just focusing on the original Xbox because that's the big thing here that everybody has been waiting for. Now one thing that's interesting is there is nothing here annotated about a locked drive, an unlocked drive, or keeping a EEPROM key. For anybody that does not know, if you have a custom, like if you have a hard modded original Xbox, which means it is running a custom BIOS, you don't need to lock a hard drive to it. You can take a hard drive, drop it in, run a recovery disc, and set it all up. And I believe the same goes for XDKs as well, which is the Xbox development kit. For any consoles running a retail BIOS, which includes soft modded systems, they are required to have a locked hard drive. And that means you really can't do anything with that hard drive unless you unlock it. And if you unlock it, if you if you unlock it on a soft modded or retail BIOS and leave it unlocked, your Xbox will air out whenever it tries to boot up. The retail BIOS requires a locked hard drive to it. So typically the way to read a locked hard drive is to unlock it and then hook it up to a PC. Or if you have the epromp key, you can hook it up to your PC You can take your EEPROM key, which would have, you know, the hard drive key available, pair it up with whatever software you're using, and you can use that to unlock the hard drive on your PC. I see no mention of that here. Just to err on the side of caution, though, if you're using a retail hard drive on here or a soft modded hard drive, be sure you have your hard drive key available or your EEPROM backed up or both. You know, both. Now, I have not personally tried this, but good friend of the show here, Tom Keeley, otherwise known as Kilgore777, did excitedly message me about this, and he gave me some information on it. In his words, he said, I just finished a full 500GB Xbox Drive transfer, connected directly to PC via SATA, in less than two hours using Fat Explorer. From now on, this is the way to go. And that's what I talked about on here when I was kind of excitedly talking about this a couple months ago. That's going to be the big thing. You're going to get such a boost in speed because you're hooking up your hard drive either directly to your PC with... USB 2.0 or USB 3.0 or even directly SATA or IDE if you're choosing to do that Point is you're going to be hooking it up to an interface that's going to get you faster than fast Ethernet speeds And those are limited to you know, like twelve and a half megabytes a second hundred meg So I do need a excuse to try this out Hopefully soon I will but for anybody who is wanting to try this out even though this is paid software you can use this for free. The beta releases you can use for free. And right here, I was looking for it. Here, it expires July 12th, 2020. So you have... Almost another three months to use this for free. So definitely jump on it if you want to give it a shot. And for the very last thing I'm going to be covering here, I've tried to always cover something that's kind of fun or funny or, you know, anything. Fun or funny or even both. Um, This is more just kind of fun and interesting, I would say. But this was from the original Xbox subreddit in a post called Hi There. And look at this. Team Avalanche. Now this is posted by the Team Avalanche account on Reddit. And this has been verified. And I even further verified it as well, too, for anybody who might be doubting it. Now, apparently one cool thing that has happened through all this COVID-19 coronavirus quarantine stuff is that several of these old teams have been coming back together. So Team Avalanche has kind of come out of the woodworks and they've done tons of work and contributions to the original Xbox scene. We also have Team UIX that came out of the woodwork as well. Now just referring to this video by YouTube user Tim X Irish, and he is a friend of the show here who had linked this to me. This is just an example of UIX from Team UIX because I didn't really know that much about this. Now of course with avalanche we had the avalanche dashboard but with team uix here you have essentially one of the most customizable dashboards out there for the original xbox but this looks really similar to the stock dashboard doesn't it yeah that's the idea they pretty much wanted to take the stock dashboard and heavily modify it as much as they could and while as you can argue isn't that all the custom dashboards not so much, actually. This right here is it operates and it looks mostly like the stock dashboard, except you have modding capabilities in here now. That is really what they were going for, and it's really cool to see that they're coming back as well too. Now, apparently, Team UIX's thing is more based around. They are trying to go back and gather up old code and read it out, and they're they're trying to preserve. A lot of the old stuff they did that might be lost or might have been lost and was not well documented. So they want to go out there and recover all this and preserve it as best as they can in current time before working on new stuff for the scene. Now, I don't know what Team Avalanche has directly planned here, but they're just coming in and saying hi. I believe I'm looking around here. I was looking for Team UIX because they're in here somewhere. Here we go. Why, hello there. My, that's a name I haven't seen in quite some time. And official team UIX said, There's more. Yesman has been doing his due diligence and stalking. I mean, finding a lot of people. So Team UIX even dropped in and they've been making some posts on Reddit as well too. It's also important to note that Team UIX is also verified. Now for anyone who might be a skeptic to this and be saying, okay, yeah, this is a Reddit post. It doesn't say anything. And maybe they ended up fooling the moderator team on here. So, you know, it's verified or maybe this is a joke. Well, this was posted on April 8th. So this was definitely not a April Fool's joke. I would trust that this would be verified, But I did my own due diligence on here. I actually publicly reached out on Twitter to IDC Avalanche, who is here Ian Court from the Avalanche team, and Schizo, who is also part of the Avalanche team. Now, I asked, so, you all have something in store for us, and I linked that Reddit post. Now, Schizo was the first to reply and said, I have no idea what the shit this is. If it's an IDC Avalanche creation, I'll support it, but I highly doubt it with that shit-fucking layout. So that didn't look very good. But then Ian, otherwise known as IDC Avalanche, came in and said, it's legit. So there we go. Team Avalanche is back. They're doing something and it's legitimate. That's some cool stuff. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. I really hope you all enjoyed this. I think this might be the longest episode of Mod Chat since we've rebooted it. So, cool. <laughs> Anyways, this is Mr. Mario, signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching. Again, if you all are wanting to watch this, it's going to be on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel in video form. And if you're wanting to listen to it, it's going to be available on most of your favorite podcasting apps and platforms. Now, one thing I also always do is I like to pick a keyword or a key phrase. And if you use this in a comment on the YouTube upload, I'll know that you made it to the end. So how about guinea pig. If you use the phrase guinea pig somewhere in your comment, I will know you made it to the very end of this longer episode. Anyways, this is Mr. Mario signing off real this time. Thank you all for watching and listening, everyone. Until next time.